One day I was in a coffee shop, of all places, in the, in the Friendswood area, and this uh, a, a gentleman who worked at NASA said, hey, you know we have a SWAT team at NASA. Welcome to Creating Community with Dorian and Jake, a podcast designed to bring area leaders, business owners, and other interesting people together to better our community. I'm your co-host, Jake Starkey. And I'm your other co-host, Dorian Strickland. We're the owners of 1820 Marketing and 1820 Coffee House in the heart of Alvin, Texas, and we're in season two of the podcast. Our goal with this podcast is to showcase the amazing people, businesses, and organizations we have in and around Brazoria County. So if you know someone who should be highlighted, please email us at info at 1820marketing.com. Today, we are again at the Alvin Manville Area Chamber of Commerce, one of the sponsors of the podcast. Texas Snowfruit is also a sponsor, and you can learn more about both of those businesses later in the show. If you're a first-time listener, we would love for you to subscribe to Creating Community on your favorite podcast app. Creating Community with Dorian and Jake is available wherever you get your podcasts, or you can listen directly at 1820marketing.com slash podcast. In this episode, we're talking with Alvin ISD officer Sam Davis. He's obviously a police officer, but he's also from England, and we're excited to have him on the podcast today, and you'll see that in a minute. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Officer Davis. Uh, thank you very much. Pleased to be here. Sure. So we start a lot of times with, um, what was it like growing up in Alvin? Because a lot of people <laughs> we talk to huh? are from <laughs> Alvin. Uh, so what was it like growing up in England? Well, I... I was born 20 years after the Second World War. And so at that time, there's a lot of tradition in the villages, local villages where I lived, um, for the regiments doing the, the yearly marching down the streets. Oh. A lot of memorials that went on. Um, when the Queen's Jubilee came out in 1977, you know, we all went out with the banners and waved and, wow. and had, uh, you know, great celebrations out there. So as a kid, I grew up, uh, my father was Navy for 32 years. My grandfather... He was uh, he was in he was in the army in the Second World War, and I think um, I remember my father telling me that he was one of the British soldiers that went into an, a concentration camp. Oh wow! In the in the Second World War, so wow. as a boy, I remember seeing photographs of the, you know the pajamas of the of the uh, Jews. Yeah, I remember seeing uh, pictures of those. So when my grandmother died, we were looking for those photos, and we never found them. I think she threw them away. But oh he, my but goodness! He, but he never talked about it. Wow. Um, I wish one of the things you always wish when somebody passes you things you wish you had asked. Yeah, for I sure. wish I wish I knew a little bit about yeah. that. But growing up in England, um, it was untraditional. I think for me, my parents wanted to put me through uh, the best education they could. So they put me through private school. So from the age of seven, I uh, went to boarding school, uh, sort of preparatory school in the east, east of uh, England, uh, southeast of England. And um, so the age of seven, all our dormitories were named after all Navy ships. It was oh, disciplined. Wow. We had to make our beds. We had to have hospital corners on our beds. Uh, we had a, a chart with your names alphabetically on the doors. And uh, it was uh, in the summertime when we had swimming to do. We had to, uh, you know, the headmaster, we'd be walking down the hallways and you hear the clunk, clunk, clunk of his boots. Of the tap. Yeah. At the tap. And you think, is it me next? Am I, <laughs> am I swimming this morning? Sound like the military. And, and, so, <laughs> and the trouble is, if you're a good swimmer, and I was not a bad swimmer, it was Davis right, you're next, come on, let's go. And so you go down at seven o'clock in the morning and you go to the outdoor swimming pool and it'd be cold, and, uh, but that's what we did. So life at boarding school was great. I loved it. Um, I do remember before we went back for the holidays, I, had a, um, I was 
it was excitement. I get to see my family. I get to go home because you stayed at school. You lived there. Sure. Yeah. And so you, you had a great band of brothers that you worked with, you hung around with. And we had 25 acres of land to play in uh, on the weekends. We played sports six days a week. Um, but then converse to that, when I went back uh, to, to school, preparations the day before, the heart would be beating. You'd have the lump in the throat. Sure. But no sooner as I got back to school, right, I'm back to normal. I'm back with my friends. Huh. Um, and you never wow. showed emotion to, you know, when my dad would drop me off at school, I would never show emotion of, you know, hugs and kisses in front of my, fr my friends because <laughs> oh, yeah. in that environment, you know, Darwinian oh, theory, yeah. the strongest survive. And, and I was lucky as a sportsman, um, I was one of the jocks. So therefore, you, if you're a jock, you survived. If you're an academic, you did. But if you're neither nor, you had to find an ally in the jocks or somebody the, to help you somebody sure. to help you so sports is very much my deal rugby cricket uh, field hockey soccer i wanted to play england uh, play for england as a soccer player that didn't work out <laughs> um so yeah that was me and then 13 we went over to the other boarding school we call it public school but here public is is for everybody but public yeah. school is private school there and so I know it sounds okay. weird. Us, us English, we do things differently from you. We speak differently. I know. Um, Different language. Al <laughs> aluminium. You know, you, you, we spell it with an extra I. Right, yeah. What can I say? You know, we say capillary and you PC say capillary. He's saying aluminum. Al aluminum. Oh, oh, sorry. I need a translator here. That's right. That's right. So, so boarding school could have been too bad because you followed your dad's footsteps and went into the Navy, right? Yeah, I did. I actually, um, from the age of seven, I wanted to be a pilot. And so it seemed natural for me to join the Navy. And, and initially, I wanted helicopter pilot to be a helicopter pilot. And then my brother, who worked for Rolls-Royce at the time, said, well, why don't you become oh, a yeah. Harrier jump jet pilot? I went, oh, that sounds great. Well, I did my acquaint course and did my leadership testing. And they said, well, we're going to offer you a seaman officer, a seaman officer, a commission as a seaman officer. And I thought, well, can't I be a pilot? This <laughs> Throws a wrench in this, no. doesn't it? So my dream from the age of seven Wanted, I always wanted oh, to be a pilot, wow. and it was, it was Dash, so I didn't want to be driving ships for the rest of my life. I had a great time on HMS <laughs> Invincible when I was 18. We did our three months out at sea, doing sea trials, etc. Um, but it didn't grasp me, didn't grip me. So at the age of 19, 20, I came back, and I worked in my parents' pub, bartending, and worked with a master stonemason, renovating old barns. And uh, so wow. I know how to bricklay and make, do stonemasonry, etc. Um, and then... Uh, one day, one of the locals came into the pub. He was, a, he was a warrant officer from the Metropolitan Police. He retired. His name was Charlie Alsop. And he said uh, in his London accent, why don't you join the police? And I said, well, why? He said, well, first of all, uh, money's good. Second, the hierarchical structure is brilliant. You can get promoted. And all the ladies love uniform. And I thought, right, you got me there. <laughs> yeah. so, number three got me. Yeah. Number three got me. So I... I, I apply for the Metropolitan Police and then Avon and Somerset, which is where I lived, the county I lived, huh. and then Wiltshire. And Wiltshire Constabulary came first. They're in the southwest of England. And uh, it's the smallest and, and the oldest um, police force outside of London. Huh. And, so, and was he right? Do all the ladies love a uniform? Well, they, they say, well, I can't say what we say in the academies, but, they, <laughs> yeah. but you know, basically the uniform will get you the ladies, but the ladies can get your uniform. I think that oh, was the expression. Okay, yeah. You've got to be careful, you know, yeah, and yes. you've got to be, that's why honesty and integrity is, uh, is a big deal with us. Yeah, and, uh, absolutely. So, yes, yes, yeah. ladies, I understand you like uniform. And so, obviously, there's a lot of similarities between police throughout the world, but now that you're in America, what's some of the 
what what's a glaring difference that you've kind of noticed? I, so I've I've heard the stereotype that English police officers don't even carry pistols, and that's, I don't know if that's true that, or not. That is correct. Police officers don't carry guns in the UK um, because the gun laws are pretty strict. I mean, the yeah. the the door never opened up, so the horse could never bolt, as it was supposed to speak. Unlike in the US, you know, everybody has a right to bear arms, etc. So the biggest thing for me is is guns, firearms. But policing is the same wherever you go. People yeah. still commit crime. They still drink and drive. They have family violence, etc. Um, so that the first thing is firearms. But the second thing is, I think, what was instilled in us in the academy was that community policing is the big thing. So you had to sure. do foot patrol. You had to. I had five T stops where I worked and so I get to know Mrs. Jones and Mrs. Jones would tell you oh, um, oh you know little Jimmy down the road he's up to no good so you, <laughs> you know that kind sure. of stuff so you got you weren't allowed to be on in a patrol vehicle until you got to know your beat and oh then, wow okay. so, absolutely so uh, that's one thing I'd say different unfortunately nowadays we're policing we, because we're short staffed you know we are more of a reactionary yeah. um, rather than pre you know being proactive um, because of the, the numbers, we just don't have enough officers to, to sure. handle that. Well, and I think of England, I think it's landlocked. It's an island, obviously. Yeah. Um, so there's a much more condensed environment when you come. Even Alvin is by no means a huge city, but it's very sprawling in the sense that you couldn't walk. Like it is not yeah. a walking conducive environment for Absolute, anyone absolutely public transportation in the uk is very comprehensive buses trains you can yeah. you know here you have as you say sprawling distances where people drive a lot more uh you know one of the things when i first came to the states that really shocked me was people using drive-throughs i thought how lazy are you <laughs> you know yeah. why don't you just walk in and get some food but you know that's i wasn't used to that and the other thing was seeing so many big trucks in this area and i you know we're used <laughs> oh, to little yeah. mini cars that uh, you know you can get into a shoebox but here it's like Amazing. Uh, yeah, I can only imagine that. And then also getting used to the, driving on the other side, like even just kind of wrapping your head around. I've thought like, okay, doing that has got to be. Okay, Jake has hit all the stereotypical questions. Yes. <laughs> but well, it's also, but it's, it's a good question. Yeah. yeah, it is valid. And I get this asked often, you know, yeah. it's uh, so what is, the, you know, the policing thing, what is different? But um, I've, as I said, I've, I started in 1987. We're now 2021 and 34 or so years later. I still love what I do. But but you didn't go from England to Alvin. You went from England to Bermuda. Bermuda yeah. I, which I, has got to be fun, right? From one, yeah. one island to a smaller one? Bermuda Bermuda is great. It's 21 square miles. It's 700 miles east of Cape Hatteras on the east coast of the United States, uh, 1,000 miles north of the Caribbean. People think Bermuda's in the Caribbean, but it's not. No. Um, 63, 64,000 population. And uh, we were sent over because to add impartiality, to the local community because in the small community everybody's either related know each other went to school with each sure. other so being a british colony we were sent over to uh to to go over and, and assist and so it was a great time but, but here's the thing when somebody breaks into your car and it makes the second page of the royal gazette you know not a lot of things are going on wow right. yeah you know so it was very much a ceremonial kind of thing yes you were policing um i had a great time i had to get off the island because you get rock fever you had to so I'd, I'd venture over to the east coast of the states playing hockey and whatever yeah. So, so, so are you a British police officer there? Are you a Bermuda police officer? Or what is Bermuda police officer. So we uh, we had to go through our own academy. But because you're already uh, trained as a British police officer, you already know the law 
Bermuda law is based on British law. You just right. have uh, basic bylaws, which are different. Every like every like in the states, in every town municipality, you have different bylaws or. Yeah. Um, sure. Uh, municip- uh, what do you call them? Uh, mis- municipalities. Municipalities have different uh, laws and rules pertaining to like how long your grass can be and all that kind of thing. So, because of the size of the island, are you covering the entire island? Or are you limited to certain sections? No, I was on the east side. I covered the airport, so we do airport duties, and um, you had east, central, and west. So east was St. George's, Royal St. George's, and then you had uh, Hamilton, which was the center, uh, the capital of, and then you had Somerset, which is on the west end. Mm. But there are like nine parishes in, in, uh, in Bermuda. Um, an interesting fact, they have more golf courses per square mile than anywhere else in the world. Do they really? Yeah, uh, I think they have nine, nine golf courses. Wow. Uh-huh. Where's so, Jamie? We should tell him. <laughs> that's a great place to go. square miles, nine golf courses. I know. Jeez. Yeah, that's... Know. Uh, and everything else is probably hotels or... Hotels. But the one thing about Bermuda, which I, I loved, was the fact that you didn't see antennas on roofs. They're not allowed to have uh, anything really? modernistic that looks... That, that can ruin the aesthetic look really? of the island. All the roofs are white, and they are concrete-based, so that when you have hurricanes... They they protect the houses. Oh. And, and how long ago was this? 80, 90? Uh, 94 to 98, I was out okay. in Bermuda. Uh, each house has its own water tank underneath, so it collects its own water supply. Because water oh. is very expensive. They had to use desalination sure. plants. To, sure. Otherwise, if you run out of water. So, huh. yeah, they're pretty self-sufficient. Wow. Okay, and, and you joined... From there, you moved on to Johnson Space Center, or you yeah, moved to the U.S.? I moved to the U.S. I worked for an offshore financial advisor who was my financial advisor in Bermuda. And so I ended up traveling to Turks and Caicos, helped set up an office there, went to Singapore and the Cayman Islands, and did that for a couple of years. And uh, it didn't quite work out. And um, and so not being a U.S. citizen, I was I was always going back and forwards from the States to the U.K., uh, gotcha. to, to uh, wherever I was going to. Um, but I, but uh, I met somebody, and uh, she was a U.S. citizen, and uh, we ended up having a child together in 2000. My daughter Samantha, she's now almost 22, and with that comes the headaches that comes with 22-year-olds who yeah. want to flap their wings and be independent. Yeah, I have an almost 19-year-old, so yeah. same thing. Yeah. So yeah, so I was, uh, so I ended up um, my offshore financial advisor. He lived in Friendswood. That's my connection with oh, Texas. Oh wow! There you so go. That's how I ended up. I was up wondering how you got to yeah. Texas. So, so I mean, other than it's Texas, I mean, right? Yeah. So so then I left there, and then I I, I think I joined uh, KFC as an assistant manager. I went to Kentucky on a management class. Um, now my neighbors happened to be KFC managers, so they suggested one day, hey, why don't you do that? I said, okay, yeah. I'll do wow. anything to earn some money. So I went to KFC, and then six months later, Burger King came along <laughs> and said, would you like to work for us as a manager? Wow. I went, so I went from assistant manager to manager. Then within a year, I was district manager of seven restaurants. So, Wow. And yeah. So a lot of people would struggle going from being a police officer to working for a fast food restaurant. Particularly, you said you don't understand why people go through the fast food line. Absolutely. You're so right. And for me, it's, <laughs> but it is probably the hardest, one of the hardest things I've ever done in terms of you, I, I had to work hard. The volume, you had to have volume to make money in, in that industry. Oh, yeah. And you got to, and the pressure's on you to, you know, keep your labor down, your food costs down. You, yeah. you know how it is. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a, it was an interesting experience. But because of that, we had Panasonic systems installed in our um, restaurants, and so Panasonic, I helped install these systems, and then Panasonic said, "Hey, would you like to join us?" So I left. <laughs> 
the, uh-huh. I left the restaurant industry and went into work for Panasonic, installing and training managers how to use their, wow. use their programs. So when you look at a Wendy's or a Burger King or a McDonald's, like McAfee, McAfee Coffee, and the drive-thrus, I'd install those those huh. kind of things. So, so that's the lesson here is if you work hard, somebody's paying attention. Absolutely. I've, I've always been a believer, and that was instilled in me from a young age from my mother. She'd always say, don't accept any wooden shekels from anybody. And so basically, you know, the expression, she always wore the Star David around her, her neck. I think there was a Jewish connection somewhere, but I don't know what. Uh, that's, again, it's one of those questions I wished I'd asked her when I was younger. But she said, don't take any wooden shackles from anybody. So I'm a little thrown off because for us, it's don't take any wooden nickels. And I've never heard anybody say, don't take any wooden shackles. Yeah. that's I've never heard that phrase from either one of y'all <laughs> ever in serious? my entire life. Well, Even you are younger than us, so. That's barely, it, youngsters. Yes. Yes, we'll yes. stick together. Yeah. <laughs> wooden shackles. I've, I honestly, I've never heard wooden shackles, but I'm going to start using that now. Yeah, wooden shackles. It was, uh, But it, 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 it makes the point that, you know, you don't, you you always treat people as you like to be treated yourself. Sure. And that's always been my mantra when I'm on the street or talking to people. But at the same time, don't you don't suffer fools lightly. You just don't accept that kind of negativity or toxicity or whatever it is that comes your way. Yeah. Well, that right. looks like a good place to take a break. We'll come back and we'll talk about your work on the Alvin ISD police force. Sure. But first, let's take a moment to thank our sponsors. Hi, this is Christina with Texas Snowfruit. We're a shave ice company located in Scopel Square in the heart of Alvin. Stop by and see us or visit us on our website at texassnowfruit.com. Hi, this is Carrie Perrin, president and CEO of the Alvin Manville Area Chamber of Commerce. Here at the Chamber, we want to support local businesses. We want to give you visibility in the community. We want to give you opportunity in the community. And for those of you that aren't business owners, we want to let you know about all our wonderful chamber members, and if you support them, you support our community. So remember, whether you're a business or a community member, when you eat, shop, play, and support local business, you support the community. And we're back with Officer Sam Davis from Alvin ISD. So you talked about you were installing Panasonic Mm -hmm. uh, AV systems or intercom systems for... Uh, fast food restaurants and point of sales everything point, to do yeah. with the restaurant credit card machines etc did you, did you just go crazy and decide i'm going to go back to police <laughs> policing from dealing with driving well, it, it's interesting the transition you know i've always had that hankering to get back but because i wasn't a citizen it took me eight years to get my citizenship i had a green card etc gotcha. um in order to work law enforcement in the united states you have to be a citizen hmm. of the united states wow. and so um it took a while to get it um, but uh, when I ended up, um, I think it was in, in, when we had the recession in 2008, when everything was going pear-shaped, oh, yeah. I was out of work for about a year and a half, two years. Did I say pear-shaped? Was yes, that, that was fantastic. So, oh. sorry, that's an Englishism. Uh, you'll probably hear a few more. But so when w- it, We're counting on it. Yeah. Okay. Well, when everything went pear-shaped in, in 2008, I lost, I lost my job, and uh, so I was in the wilderness of what do I do, so I went online to... University of Villanova and did um, a Six Sigma program, which is all about process improvement. Oh, Six Sigma, wow. So I've got my black belt, green belt, lean sensei, if you, if you know what that means. But uh, <laughs> I got that. And again, I still couldn't get a job. And then one day I was in a coffee shop of all places in the, in the Friendswood area. And this uh, um, lady, uh, one, well, a, a gentleman who worked at NASA said, hey, you know, we have a SWAT team at NASA. And I went, hmm. So then I applied for NASA, 
Mm-hmm. And uh, long and short is in 2011, they hired me on on the security contract as a SWAT op- as a SWAT officer because that's what I did. I was a SWAT officer in Bermuda and yeah. in, and in England. I'm trying to think of the need of a SWAT. T- I understand At police Johnson force Space absolutely. Center? Security, police. I totally can wrap my head around that at NASA. The, the SWAT team, though. Well, so what does a SWAT team do at Johnson Space so Center? So our primary role is is obviously just what regular police officers do, investigations. People will be people no matter where you are. You have your domestics, you have your accidents, etc. But we have it's more like a reactionary uh, 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 force where you would, um, because you have mission control and you have over a million visitors that come on to JSC every year from Space Center Houston, uh, we have a lot of national treasures there. So... You know, to say that's that, true. so exactly. because of that, you need to have more of a um, understanding of what could potentially happen. Because on those trams, anybody can be carrying anything. Well, so, it's like you talked about before. It's it's a not a reactive situation. You're trying to be proactive. Right? Absolutely, our presence. You know, you know, the the joke was at NASA when anybody ever saw us, it's what have I done wrong? Right. We're always in the shadows, and uh, you know, you see us in our uniform, but that's pretty much it. Uh, but we were trained a lot and uh, had a great time. The, probably the most fun I've had work-wise because you're rubbing shoulders with astronauts. You're rubbing right. shoulders with some very intelligent people. Um, and so they're all very professional behind these four gates. Yeah. Um, whereas on the streets, it's slightly different. <laughs> I'm going to declare you the first Space Force. That's oh, oh, there you go. Look at that. It's first space. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Actually, we should claim that. Yeah. So... From that, you, did you transition to Alvin ISD? No, actually, I what I did in 2017, I left at NASA. And um, again, through my connections at NASA, they knew because it's very close to the city of Webster. And so mm-hmm. I, I contacted Webster because, I, I, again, by that time I had my citizenship and I, I really wanted to uh, get back into law enforcement. And so Webster were a great department. They, they said, okay, we'll hire you. We'll put you through an academy. So they sponsored me. And oh, so, wow. so I went through the Pasadena Police Academy in 2017. Great trainers, great people. And uh, I had a great time there with all, all the students, all yeah. the cadets at the time. I can imagine. Were the cadets early 20s? Yeah, interesting. When you had to talk about yourself, uh, give it like a five-minute rendition about your history. and I, When you guys were all born. Uh, so, <laughs> well, my question was, right, all of you, put your hands up if you're born before July 1987. Like one put their hand up and I said, all right, none of you were born when I went through my first police academy. Yeah, exactly. So it was, uh, but it was great. I had, they, they looked at me as the, as the experienced old dog, I suppose, um, that could impart some wisdom. Uh, well, that is going through the academy 30 years after your yeah, first time. Yeah, yeah, I thrive on that. I love it. You know, I'm, if I think about it, I've been through three police academies and one academy through NASA because you had to do a federal rest authority class. So. Well, I think that's, we know you because you come by the coffee shop, but you're coming by the coffee shop and you literally walked in with this massive 500 page book yeah, because you're right. studying, because you're constantly wanting to learn. And I think that's a lesson for and, anyone that, and you're teaching. Yeah. Yeah. You never, it's certainly not job. You, you, you're always learning. The minute yeah. you say, I've known it always the minute you might as well leave because uh, mm-hmm. you've got a lot to learn. The law's always changing. Um, and you know, I, I just started to, uh, 
teach at Alvin Community College to the cadets. I've, I've already taught, of all things, U.S. Constitution. Isn't that great? An Englishman yeah. teaching That's Americans U.S. Constitution. Makes me want to take the class. Well, as, yeah. we, as we talked about, you probably know it better than a lot of American citizens. Well, you have to study it. If, you, if you're going to teach it, you need to know it. And so uh, it's like anything. If you, if you half... Uh, uh, half whatever it is yeah. it almost said the wrong word there but if you you know if you don't do it right then you're not going to teach it the right way or what you want to uh, give to the to the students sure. so um yeah i researched it and uh, i i find it fascinating the law fascinates me I, i'm yeah. i'm fascinated by the idea of what these students think when they come in and they start hearing you talk because you're teaching U.S. Constitution. Well, I, I always start by saying, right, anybody who understands English, I need you as an interpreter. Uh, just as a, just to break the ice. You always have an icebreaker. Yeah. But I, I, I have colloquialisms, but uh, I think they pretty much get around. If I get a blank stare, I said, okay, it means this, guys. Let's uh, yeah. step right, chaps, back. Yeah. Chaps, this means this. You know, yeah, so. that's funny. Yeah, well, and beyond even just the fact that You've worked in Bermuda and England mm -hmm. in America as police officers, as a police officer. Um, law enforcement itself has just changed over the course of your oh, yeah. experience. Mm -hmm. What is something that you have noticed that's changed a lot in the past or since you've been a police officer? What I'll say is that I'll say what hasn't changed and I'll say what has changed. <laughs> What hasn't changed is 99.9% .9 of the people, the public, love the police. And they will come up and say, thank you for your service. And that, to me, is, makes me realize why I'm doing what I do. Um, what has changed is that certain elements of society have been allowed to be more vocal about dissent, defund the police, which to me is, I can't understand that. Yeah. But at the same time... Um, I think we just need to get to learn to get to work together. And, and um, we're all communities. I, I breathe the same air as you do. I put my trousers on. I have a family. Yeah. And I think the media doesn't help us in many respects. Sure. Um, but I, th I think um, there's a certain vitriol, sort of anger towards us, which I hadn't seen before um, yeah. in modern times. And, you know, obviously I won't go into you know, the, the reasons and the causes, but that's, it, it does um, concern me because uh, I think when I look at all the people I've worked with over the years in the different countries, etc., we all join f with a purpose to protect and serve. And, right. and, that, and I take that seriously. And it annoys me when I see an officer do something that they shouldn't do. Um, I'm with you on that. And, and so don't think that for one second that if there's bad behavior by an officer that we condone it. We sure. absolutely do not condone it because it makes mm -hmm. it harder for us on the streets. Exactly. Uh, and so, um, but I love this job and I, I couldn't say any more about it than working with Alvin ISD moving, because I didn't tell you how I moved from Webster yeah. to Alvin ISD, did I? No, no, that's what we're waiting on. All right. So, okay. So patience is a virtue. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, yeah. When I worked at Webster, we had extra jobs. Police officers do extra jobs to supplement sure. their income. So I, uh, I actually, there's an officer, offer. I think we had contract officers in the elementary schools, and there, and so as a consequence, I actually started working in uh, the local schools and Hassey Elementary and Alvin Elementary, yeah. Disney, um, Passmore Hood case. I worked in, in these schools as a contract officer, and I got known as the the seatbelt guy. 
Um, I always check the seatbelts of, of all the kids when they leave sure. the school. And so, so 99% of the people love it. You have some people that don't quite like it. Sure. But my job is to make sure the kids are safe and, and to set, set a standard for them. And then hopefully they, they, you know, they continue to be safe yeah. in their vehicles. I think it's my, – my wife is – the way she phrases things is, is uh, it's not the practice makes perfect, practice makes permanent. Yes. And so if you make it a – practice to put on your seatbelt every single time then it becomes a permanent habit you know and that it's a non-thought process yeah, a, it yeah. just happens yeah, I, I go to lunchtime i love talking with the kids and, and chatting with them and what i say to the kids um you know what what are you doing for uh when you who's a car rider here and the the, the some kids will put their hands i said i'm checking seatbelts today and kids Remember, wear your seatbelts, and they, they laugh. We just play a game with it. Yeah. And so when they see me outside, I've got my seatbelt on, and yeah. mommy, put your seatbelt on, daddy, put your seatbelt on. So the, in fact, it's... Oh, it parents are going to love that. It, <laughs> it kind of reinforce. I'm reinforcing it through the kids to make the parents do it too. Nice. Some, some of them don't. But um, but I, yeah, I, I couldn't... I tell you, I made the right decision coming over. So did you ultimately leave Webster then, and you're over here full-time now? Yes, I did. I, I left in March of 2020 as the pandemic hit. As the pandemic hit, wow. So I came to empty schools. and, and uh, but uh, Oh, man. So were you thinking, uh, did I make a mistake? <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't, actually, because I got married in March of this year. And um, one of the reasons why I left Webster was not that I had any complaints. I had a great time at Webster. Sure. I loved the job. I missed, you know, I actually kind of miss it through the chase sometimes. But um, I, I decided to, for the first time in my life, that something else came first because the police always came first. And sure. um, because it's not a, it's not a job, it's not a career, it's a way of life, it's a calling. And so when you're working on a surveillance team or on a tactical team, whatever, that comes first and the family has to accept that. Yeah. And so I made a decision when I met my, my now wife, Ginger. Um, hold on a second. When I met my wife, I realized I made the right decision that to, to leave and do something for somebody else. So, yeah. We, yeah. we have a, uh, a friend that's an officer at Webster now. He's been there for a couple of years, Daryl. League City. Yeah, League City, close enough, right? Yeah, it's right close. It's close. <laughs> I was thinking it was Webster. <laughs> so, yeah, so I, for Webster for me, that, that was great. And, um, and I, I even go to, I even go on a river trip with the guys every year. Yeah. So I keep that relationship with them. We have a good, good rapport. And, uh, but, uh, that uh, Ginger, she came first, and I'm very lucky. In fact, I married up. I didn't marry down. And, <laughs> I think uh, we all say that. Yeah, yeah I, def yeah, I definitely. Sure. There's no question. I married up. Right. So, do you still have family in England? Do you have any family here? Or are they all in England? Actually, I have a brother in Columbus, Ohio. He's still he's 69. He works for Rolls Royce Aero Engines. I think if you hear, if you heard of uh, NetJets, he's uh, he's a Rolls Royce rep with for NetJets. With, huh. uh, on them, so he's in Columbus, Ohio. I have a younger sister in Australia, Kangaroo Island, and my other brother lives in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, my uncle's huh. in New Zealand, and my elder sister lives in Cardiff, just outside Cardiff from Wales. So you guys wow. have spread out a little yeah. bit. Yeah, I know. My mother said, "What have I done to, to deserve <laughs> to, all this? to drive everybody away?" Yeah. Yeah. But we could, we'd always come back. You know, yeah. we'd always come back. Sure, to see that's amazing. Yeah. Well. I really appreciate you sitting down and, and taking the time to sit down with us and, and tell us a little bit of your story. Like we talk about, it's always fun to have um, interesting people on the podcast. 
and and you checked all the boxes and then some. So we Thanks really appreciate you. Well, we would be remiss if we didn't mention the uh, bobby hat you have. Here. Oh yes, yeah. so I brought the bobby hat as a, as this is something I do in the, with the kids. And if you look at the front of the the helmet, it is uh, it has a moniker on the front which says uh, E the the, le- the new Roman numerals of one one, which is two, and the R, which is R for Regina. So every time you have a monarch on the throne, uh, you're, they're going to have their moniker on the police helmet. So when Charles becomes king, he'll be Charles the third. So it'll be C one 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 R for X. And when you look at our post boxes in England throughout, every time you had a monarch, they have a post box with their moniker on it. So you, you can go as far back as George the third and Edward the sixth. And we mentioned this one before we started. Pretty much everybody has this moniker right now. Yeah, pretty much so. Every uh, we have forty-eight county um, police agencies in in England and Wales. Scotland is a different entity, you know. That's why they built Hadrian's Wall, but that's another story. Uh, but on the front, you have uh, you, on the top, you always have the crown because when you swear allegiance, you swear allegiance to the crown. Uh, so we're public servants, uh, whereas I swear an oath to Texas as a Texas peace officer. Uh, I swear an oath to to the crown. That's why you had the Royal Mail, the Royal Navy, Royal Air Force, Royal Marines, etc. Uh, but I, I do, I take this into my classes and I show the kids, and um, you know all about it, why it's the shape, the way it is, um, because in the old days you didn't have telephones, so it was so tall on your head, so you could see a police officer in the crowd. Oh. So that's why you see it like this, and it's great in the rain because you have the peak on the front, it drops off the nose, and on the back it tapers off so it doesn't go down the back of your neck so there is it may look a a a weird design but it's actually pretty well and what type of material is it on the outside it's like a it's like a a felt it's like it's very lightweight but you have two types you have this doesn't look lightweight it is it is actually lightweight um but when you look say when i have with the other one we have what's called a riot helmet so the riot helmet is very similar uh, but it's much more rigid so if you threw like a brick against it it wouldn't cave in this one this wouldn't survive anything really to be honest okay. it's yeah. just really ceremonial and you know. is there a significance to the color no i think it's um that i've never really thought about it but it's a raw navy raw, okay. raw navy color and it's pretty much the same color throughout the country but every police department has their own moniker on the front different colors you may see red you may see a blue you have devon and cornwall has like a a peak a, a spike on right. the top just like the old uh, german pith helmet Okay. Huh. Way back when, so. Well, like like Jake said, Sam, this has been a fantastic discussion. We enjoyed you coming out. We appreciate you coming out for sure. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Thank you. Thank you. If you're interested in sponsoring Creating Community with Dorian and Jake, we'd love to talk to you. Our goal is to reach our community and let them know about great leaders and businesses and people that are helping to make it better. If you want to be a part of that, please email us at info at 1820marketing.com to start the conversation. Creating Community with Dorian and Jake is produced by 1820 Marketing and is available wherever you get your podcasts. Show notes and more are available at 1820marketing.com slash podcast as well. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week.